okay, visualize this. You're a seven-year-old child. You're, you're finally aware of what Christmas is like, and you come down the stairs or you walk through the door into the living room where the Christmas tree is and all the presents are. That's what you look like the first time you walk onto the floor at IFTD. It's, it's magic. That was Tom Sadler describing the experience when entering the floor at IFTD. AFTA, IFTD, Brook Trout, and a whole bunch more today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. I have a few slots available for the next Alaska trip uh, this this coming summer. Go to wetflyswing.com slash hosted. That's H-O-S-T-E-D to find out how you can connect with expert guests from the podcast and yours truly on an upcoming fly fishing trip. In today's episode, I uh, chat with Tom Sadler, who breaks down the American Fly Fishing Trade Association and the International Fly Tackle Dealer Show. Uh, that's a mouthful, but basically it's a, uh, a couple organizations that are all about helping uh, fly fishing companies do a better job with their craft. And uh, we get into a number of topics, including the connection uh, with Patagonian Tenkara, his background on insurance, and what plastics in the ocean, uh, what's going on there. So uh, before we get into it, I uh, just wanted to say thanks again. We're starting off on our next uh, journey pretty pretty soon with, uh, with the fly tying season. And so we'll be wrapping up uh, this current destination season we're on and, and jumping into that. So if you have a fly tying guest that you would uh, like me to connect with, you can send me an email at uh, dave at uh, wetflyswing.com and I'll try to you know, find a way to get them on the show. This episode is sponsored by Daily Fresh Design, an all-American creator of fine, sustainable fly fishing gear. Stay tuned later in the show to hear how Ross does his part to uh, reduce his waste and impacts with DLD and how he builds uh, great equipment in a sustainable fashion. You can find fresh equipment designs on Instagram at Deli Fresh Design, and you can get 20% off your next order using the coupon code WFS20 at DeliFreshDesign.com. We're also sponsored by The Great Drake, who provides high-quality heritage fly fishing tackle while being a good steward of our uh, sport. The new Fall Run fly box they have available for 2019 features small and medium-sized clips on one side of the box and um, slotted cork on the other. Naturally self-healing and hydrophobic will hold flies from the smallest midge to the largest stoneflies. Head over to thegraydrake.com and use the coupon code WFS20. That's WFS20 at checkout to get 20% off your next order of Vintage Today. So, without further ado, here's Tom Sadler from the TheMiddleRiverGroup.com. How's it going, Tom? I'm great, Dave. Great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for coming on this morning. Uh, we've got, uh, well, it, it, it's morning here. The great thing about the podcast is that depending on when people listen to this, this could be, you know... 2022 or whatever and they're listening to it in the middle of the night but but right now it, it's morning and uh, we're kind of getting started here uh i've got my cup of coffee and i'm ready to jump into some of the the afta and iftd and we were just kind of talking off air how 
you know, we're not even sure if there's a podcast out there or a resource. So hopefully today this might be a little resource for people. But um, before we get there, can you talk about how, you know, you first got into fly fishing and then how you came to be where you are now? Sure. Well, it's, I've got a long, long history. I I just turned 65 this week. So we're going to go back many, 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 many moons. Um, I started fly fishing probably about 60 years ago now. I, uh, was fortunate to have um, both my paternal and maternal grandfathers were big fly fishermen, and my paternal grandfather had a cabin up on Moosehead Lake in Maine. And um, although I don't remember it, the the family lore is that I spent my first night under canvas at six and a half weeks old. If you can imagine that, yeah. Uh, if you knew my if you knew my mother, you'd understand. And, and um, under canvas, she, you mean under a in a tent. In a tent, yeah, uh, on, at Little Duck Cove in uh, on Moosehead Lake in Maine, and um, <clears throat> we never we never um, learned how to use spinning rods or or bait casters. We were we were all given fly fly rods. Um, huh. My sister and and I, and um, so you know, I came by it by through my family and sort of stuck with it all through high school and college. And, you know, when I came to, to, you know, a career fly fishing was not the career I expected to be involved in, but, um, I kept it as a, a vocation. I mean, an avocation and, um, ultimately through a number of opportunities i wound up teaching fly fishing guiding fly fishing and getting involved with the american fly fishing trade association and um now i guide uh, pretty much every weekend and um here in the shenandoah valley for mossy creek fly fishing there you go yeah, no, that's a that's a great story, and actually, the, it's it's awesome. You hear, you know, six weeks old. It kind of sounds similar to you know my daughter, my first kid when she was born. Same thing, man. We had her camping <laughs> out on one of the local lakes, you know, in the in the wind and the cold when she was ah man. I don't know if she was six weeks old, but I was pretty young, and you know, I'm hopeful that you know maybe someday she'll kind of be you know maybe stick with it and be into fly fishing. I think that's the, you're planting the seed. You know, I've heard so many stories on this from people that just got started to people like you, where you've been doing it for 60 years. And uh, so, yeah, I love that. Um, what? Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. The, the whole kid thing, I mean, getting kids, I was fortunate, right. And, yeah. and, um, you know, I hope to instill the same thing in my grandkids is get them out. Um, my, my granddaughter, has a stick and I was, I was actually practicing in the backyard with my, uh, eight weight. And she said, grandpa, this is my fly rod. And, you know, we, we will, she, she left on Monday and we're, there's a stick sitting out by our fire pit. And it's like, well, we can't break up that stick. That's Emmy's fly rod. So it's already beginning to take hold and it's, it's wonderful. That's cool. Well, a good tip from um, Cameron Mortensen. You probably know this, but he was on in a past episode um, just just recently. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but he, um, yeah, it was great. He gave an awesome tip 
on kids getting started. He thinks, you know, a seven foot five weight, uh, glass rod from, uh, from Eagle Claw, which is only about a $25 rod is one of the best teaching tools you could use to get kids started. So I'm, uh, I don't have them. They've got their own normal graphite rods right now, but I'm excited to get these little rods because I think just the, the smaller rod, the more action will be kind of, kind of more joy. And the funny thing is the thing about, I got started pretty young too. And I think, you know, my dad gave me a glass rod because I was, um, you know, what, what was I in the 80, early eighties, right? I was a young kid. So the glass was still, we still had some glass around. It's so funny to think, right? We had glass around in the early eighties. It, it goes away for a bit. And now glass is back. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm gravitating back to, uh, glass rods and, and, and actually I'm one of my 65th birthday presents to myself is having a, um, bamboo rod made oh, by cool. Jerry Kushtick from uh, Sweetgrass. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a legacy um, fly rod. But, you know, the, the slower action and, and, you know, when it comes to kids, and maybe we can get into this later, but, you know, I've been a big advocate of the Tenkara style oh, of right. fly fishing. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's simple. And, uh, it's a stick and a string and, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, 10 car rods are super slow action and, you know, you can get shorter ones. Um, so you're not dealing with a 14 foot or 12 foot rod All right. and it's really, it's really easy for, you know, anyone who's never been fly fishing to pick up the technique of fly casting with a, with a 10 car rod. And, you know, it gets them focused on the fishing as opposed to trying to pat their head and rub their stomach and That's shoot right. line and double haul and all that, That's which right. is all, all good. And, and, you know, it's, it sort of becomes fly fishing 201 as opposed to fly fishing 101. Yeah. No, that's a good, but for kids, it, it, it can't be beat. I have I and, thought and, about the 10 car. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it, Yvonne Chenard from Patagonia pretty much laid it out um, in their program as this was, you know, this is how we're going to get kids into into fly fishing. No kidding. No kidding. And what was that program? Mm -hmm. What what do you mean by program? Well, when they they brought Patagonia um, has uh, Tenkara rods. um, Oh, they do? uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, they have uh, three models of uh, ten car rods. This is cool. Well, I- and and uh, and if you you know you kind of search around the the Patagonia ten cara um, stuff on the internet, um, you'll see there's articles that um, about Yvonne with um, with kids. He and um, Dan O'Brien from uh, Wild Idea Buffalo have taught kids up on. I think it's the big horn. Um, some, some, uh, you know, native American kids, how to fly fish with 10 car rods. There's a couple of great articles. And I think there's a link to one of the articles in my, uh, on my uh, website. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. I love the, uh, Yvonne, uh, you know, bringing up him, his name and Patagonia obviously comes up a lot. And I've been, I've been planting the seed a little bit, you know, anybody out there that uh, has a, the Patagonia connection, I'm trying to, one of my goals is to get him on the show because, uh, you know, definitely again, Tenkara, I've never even thought about Patagonia with Tenkara, but they've, they do so much other stuff. So that's really cool. But, um, 
Yeah, well, you know, like most of these shows, we could dig into any of these things and go deep and probably spend an hour talking about Ten Car. In, in fact, I do have a Ten Car episode um, on uh, in past episode, but I, I wanted to dig in a little bit to the the AFTA IFTD and uh, mm-hmm. and just before we get there, I, I wanted to swing back to your parents, um, your, your folks there. What, what uh, can you talk about them a little bit? What they were all about, and you know what they did, and how they influenced your life. Well, sure. Um, so. Um, my paternal grandparents are from, were from New Hampshire. They're no longer with us, but, um, um, and they, my grandfather and, um, started a, uh, an insurance business and, um, he was reasonably successful and their summer vacations were up in, uh, Rockwood, Maine at, on Moosehead Lake and a place called the Birches. And he ultimately bought a piece of property on Moosehead Lake. And so my father and then my, 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 um, maternal grandfather, um, all went up there. And, um, and then as, as kids, we spent half the summer up on Moosehead Lake. And, um, and then my, maternal grandfather is from Rhode Island. Um, and so I was very fortunate to spend half my summer on Moosehead Lake and half my summer in Newport, Rhode Island. Um, and we did saltwater fishing there, um, fly fishing there. So I, I, I had a lot of paternal influence, but what was the most interesting thing, Dave, and the thing that stuck with me and sort of took me down a career path was they were both, my grandparents and my father and stepfather um, were very active outdoors people, outdoorsmen, but also very, very steeped in the whole conservation mm-hmm. uh, ethic and the, you know, protect the resource and the, and the resource will, will pay you back mm-hmm. for it. But that we are, we are stewards of that resource, right. not, um, where did that come not from? Takers of the, where did um, that come from with you know, your with your grandfather? Because I, t- I mean, I think of back in the time, you know, I didn't grow up with, uh, you know, that strong, you know, conservation background. Where, where did it come from for, from your dad and your grandpa? Um, I, you know, maybe this is cliche, but it was. I think there was a certain amount of noblesse oblige uh, involved. There is that they were both of my grandparents. Um, came from fairly simple backgrounds, became very successful, and um, felt that need to pay back, whether it mm-hmm. was in conservation and, and the natural resources, but also, I mean, they were on hospital boards and, um, you know, local charities. And it was uh, a very much of a, again, it's cliche, but noblesse oblige attitude that translated from their their time in the field and, um, and what is the uh for those that don't know the oblige uh, uh, can you explain that um uh, oblige oblige is it means you know um an obligation to you know give back yeah um so basically because they were given so much and uh and then what did and your dad so what what did your what did your dad do and your and your mom he was in the insurance business and, um, you know, he worked for the family business as I did for about oh, okay. two years. So that's it. You got um, a family business going there. Yeah. The, it, it was the Sadler insurance 
agency in in Nashua, New Hampshire. Did you go and, get like um, just all life insurance, everything? No, it was uh, it was all lines of insurance, and um, my grandfather started it, and um, he was a very successful golfer and <laughs> um, made his made his uh, fortune um, taking clients golfing. No kidding. Yeah, he, he he's he's not known for his fly fishing prowess, but he was known for his his golfing prowess. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, in around New That's England, cool. and yeah, and I didn't get that bug. Um, I got the I got the fly fishing bug, and yeah, um, from that early age, and um, just yeah. they they, but again they it was never about taking everything. It was like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to share, we're going to do something to, to take care of this. And, um, you know, we, we actually lived through the carpet bombing of DDT up in the main yeah. Northwood. Wow. Saw the impact. Like I mean, the, I lived through that impact. Silent spring and all that stuff. That was you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they nuked it. And, you know, when, when, when I was a kid, they were still running, logs down that lake in big booms and um and it and it stopped but the but the i mean they nuked the lake they and and it's yeah. taken 60 years for it to recover right which is which is in the long term the big picture 60 years is pretty fast i mean some of these areas are, are, are 60 years isn't going to do it it's going to take longer than that for sure yeah but, for uh, sure well, but the, it doesn't recover as fast as, as as fast as something like a wildfire, where you know you get regeneration fairly quickly. So, it, the unnatural things that we do are not good. Are no, not good. No, I know that is a yeah, it's a constant struggle. Well, I think today um, we might not get into you know go deep into that the conservation piece. I know that the middle uh, the Middle River Group is definitely a place. I'm sure you've got a lot of resources there um on the conservation but yeah maybe we can just jump into a little bit on um afta and iftd mm -hmm. you know for those that don't know i think it's something out there that i think i mean i didn't know much about it the only thing that came up in my mind i know when i look back is after it's like well the the line you know standards and things like that can you talk about um you know maybe first what does afta stand for and just talk about um you know we're not going to be able to dig fully into it but just talk about what what afta does best and, and why why they're there Okay. Well, so um, AFTA is the American Fly Fishing Trade Association, and we represent guides, outfitters, retailers, uh, manufacturers, and manufacturers reps. We're not a consumer orga organization. We're a trade association, and that's an important um, thing to understand when, when you think about the organization and who are who our constituents are and our goal is to um, improve the fly fishing businesses for our constituents um, and uh, well, what does improve it, what, what does improve mean well so that's a great so improve would be you know in um, making your business more successful and I and I want to bookmark the word business because that's what it's about yeah. See, it's and that right there I mean, just let me stop you because sure you know i mean it sounds like you know f for anybody who's just getting started i've talked to a lot of people on this show people in fact i have a whole series called fly fishing founders where i've been digging into mm -hmm. 
digging into these episodes to talk to people who are trying to, some of them are, have been doing it, but some are just getting into it and they're just getting started. So, you know, for those people, if they're listening to this, they, I've, you know, they've talked to a lot of them. They said they want to be a guy they want to get into it. And I always kind of trying to help them, you know, what would you tell them? How, how can, uh, how can I have to help them? And, and then maybe you can just dig into, you know, the rest of what you do. So, um, it's a great question, Dave. It, it depends on what that person is. Are you going to be a fly rod manufacturer? Let, let's say, going let, to let's say the person, a, let's just say the person is a, has a new product. It's a one, a simple mm-hmm. product, you know, just a basic, you know, thing. And, and they've got this one product or maybe a couple of little products and they're trying to just, they want to, they're trying to get that out there. Say so fly, fly uh, then I think after this, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think aft is a great place for someone to start because um, if if you're new to the business, there are things that um, you know it takes you a while to learn. And going to to joining the trade association and learning about you know excise taxes, for example, and what are some of the better marketing um, opportunities and, um, you know, what are some of the lessons that have been learned from your, from your colleagues, from your, from your peers? Uh, it's, if you think about, um, AFTA as, as a, a community of, of businesses. And I, I, again, I, I mean to reinforce the word businesses of businesses who are in the fly fishing business and, and are there to be successful, then AFTA can help you navigate some of the opportunities and some of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've had um, people who have called me over the years and said, oh, so I'm making a fly rod. And I'm saying, well, are you aware that if you sell that fly rod in the United States, you need to pay an excise tax on it. And then they go, well, we don't understand that. <laughs> and that's a, that's a, that's a tricky thing mm-hmm. for people to navigate. And, and they're not sure what that's all about. And, and AFTA can help them with that. And um, the good news about that excise tax is it goes to conservation of, uh, nice. of, of natural resources. It doesn't wind up just in the treasury, right. which is, you know, from from a fly fishing world where and, yeah. and from the fishing world and it applies in the hunting world you know those excise taxes are 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 part of the north american model of wildlife conservation that's awesome what do you think is the the biggest challenge for a new company new fly fishing business trying to get into you know and maybe want maybe they want to make it a full-time thing it's kind of on the side what is the biggest challenge to doing that or is it just like any business uh, it's like any business. So, uh, when I considered opening a fly shop, a good friend of mine, Casey Walsh, said to me, "Well, you can make a small fortune, but you better start with a large one." <laughs> um, you know, it's everybody's different. Um, you know, I look at what Brian and Colby Tro have done. The the brothers that yep. own Mossy Creek Fly Fishing, they they have taken their passion and made it into their business. Um, and that's a distinction that's important. And you, if you're not passionate doing what you like, yeah, then it's a job. 
but if you're doing what you like, then it's your life, right? Right. And so I would tell anyone who is thinking about this, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you just trying to make money? There's ways to do that. And frankly, AFTA can probably help you with that. But if you really want to get into the small business lifestyle around the fly fishing um, genre, um, then, you know, that's a, that's another consideration. And again, I think AFTA can help you because most of all of the members I've ever met from AFTA are dedicated to the sport and the sport has, um, you know, a long storied history that is, um, interesting, remarkable Mm -hmm. and laudatory. I mean, you think about what fly fishing represents. Um, there's a lot um, to commend it, right? And, it, and, it is, and um, so, yeah, and, and it is a north. Yeah, yeah. The after, and I'm just thinking worldwide. So, are, are there other groups serving? You know, kind of those folks that are out. I mean, definitely. You know, in the the Europe or anywhere else around the world. I, you know, I should know the answer to that, and I don't know definitively, Dave. Yeah. But I believe there are there are european trade associations Um, i know there's a i know there's an european uh trade show ftex okay um and i believe that's i i i believe that's just um that it's both um fly and conventional Yeah, yeah i don't think there's just a fly uh like like iftd is just fly so I don't think there's a similar thing in Europe. And after we get outside of of Europe, I'm gonna really back off and say oh, my my no, understanding. That's fine. That's fine. We can. I'll, I'll put a. I'll put some links in the show notes to anything I find that that can connect people. But sure. yeah, so so that makes sense. Basically, so if somebody was new to it, probably the best thing to do would be to and I you know to sign up. And I think I just saw that you guys just went over a thousand members, right? Yes, we did. Yeah, so that's a, milestone. a big that's a big milestone. I mean, a thousand people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what would you recommend? Somebody's kind of new to it. They've been they have this product. They're out there. So, you would recommend first thing, maybe just talk about the first few steps of how is it? Just sign up, and then just you guys will send out info and take it from there. What are the steps? Yeah, I, well, it's like anything, Dave. It's what you get out of it, what you put into it. So, if you're looking for help, then. Um, I would I would be contacting Ben Bulis, who's the president of of AFTA, and we're a small trade association. I mean, the staff is there's you know three or four staff people. Yeah. Um. So, but Ben has been um, a successful businessman and in his own right, and has led the organization to the growth that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um. And so he can, if you say, "Gee, I'm trying to figure out this." Ben's Rolodex is, is, you know, at the nuclear level. I mean, he yeah. can say, well, then you should be talking to so-and-so. There so go. there's a resource that someone gets is you're tapping into the network that AFTA represents. And, and Ben's the great place to start. And then he can say, oh, well, you know, if you want to talk about this, then you should talk to these guys. Or if you want to talk about this, you can talk to these guys. And, okay. um that's the the networking aspect of AFTA is really the 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 the, the big the, thing. 
the big thing. And, right? and that's where I'm, I'm excited because I'm going to be uh, heading to Denver to, you know, to talk to you and hopefully as many people as possible. That probably will be the challenge is that there's no way I'm going to get to talk to everybody that, you know, I want to. And I, you know, this podcast has been a resource for me and it has connected me to a bunch of people that I, you know, wouldn't otherwise. I think some people, obviously they're probably on the board of AFTA and, and things like that. But, um, you know, so, so I guess looking at my situation, I'm going to be heading to Denver, you know, to IFTD. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, IFTD, how that is connected to, you know, AFTA and maybe sure. how I might, or somebody that's going there, take advantage and do the best at networking or, you know, say they have this product and they want to get, you know, get the word out or what would you recommend for somebody in that place? Sure. Well, that's, you know, you're asking the best question is, you know, how do you get the most out of AFTA? I mean, out of IFTD. And it, again, it's going to depend on who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. But and let let's me just take, speak to you. And let's just take my example, because I do have a, a sure. new upcoming, I'm not even calling it a product because it's more of a, you know, I'm trying to, you know, it's more of a, a resource, but I'm, I'm kind of looking at maybe getting into some of these and I'm totally new to it. So I don't even know, but some of these things where I could, uh, it's essentially kind of like a hosted trip, but where, mm -hmm. you know, I'm kind of connecting, you know, the people that listen to the show with some of the experts, you know, and just this cool to these destinations. So it's this, it's, it's, a, it's kind of this new idea, but I'm kind of working on it and, and I'm hoping to have something together. So if that's something I'm working on, maybe think of that as you, as you think of, you know, the show. Well, sure. And, and let's, let's talk about your, you've got a product, right? So first you have to decide whether you want to have a booth at the show. Um, and, you know, you would talk to Ben about that. I think we're getting close to sold out. Sure. Um, and we did, and I, and I, I'm sorry, I don't know the answers for sure on this, but, um, we did have what we called the new business area. And so they were smaller booths now because the excitement of IFTD for 2019 is that we're, we've left Orlando, Florida and returned to Colorado, Denver, Colorado in October. Um, that's made a lot of people happy, um, especially people in the front range. And um, so it's that excitement has, has really uh, pushed the, the, the uh, in engagement, the number of people that signed up to exhibit. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah. um, but it, you know, it's, it is, um, it's an opportunity to, 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 to showcase your product it, at, 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 by demonstrating it, by, by having a booth there. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, that's one option. So whether it's a fly box or a, or, or, um, yep. you know, hosted trips or a magazine. Um, yeah. every, I've seen all of those, you know, my good friend, Jim Klug from yellow dog yep. fly fishing and, and the magazines, you know, the, the, the fly fishing magazines, Tom by from the Drake and, right. and, and, and the guys from, you know, you know, you know, Everybody. all the magazines. Yeah, had, everybody's had, there. Exactly. And so you, you fit into it. And then from a, from a, from a media point of view, and and this would be the same thing if you were, for example, a retailer, right? You want to sit down well in advance, like now, 
and start plotting out, okay, I need to talk to the folks at Sims. I need to talk to the folks at Patagonia. I need to talk to the folks at Farbank. In three days, it's amazing how fast the time goes. And I have walked the floor with Colby and Brian and we've had to divide and conquer with three of us. <laughs> That's going right. How many? Do- how many people? Because you, you, uh, you know, realistically, how many people can you talk to in three days? That's the thing. It's, it's a challenge, right? Well, and it is. And then, so then, it's you know, you need to do triage. You need to do. Yeah, um, you need to have a plan. You know, you have to have a plan, and you need to set those appointments in advance because. Um, you know, the plan is going to all have to fit together into, into a, into a 12 hour day. And then there's all the, the networking opportunities and that's with, you know, both in the show and outside of the show. Um, and, um, you know, just the stuff in the hallways, the information transfer that goes on outside of the show floor, Mm -hmm. um, the seminars that AFTA puts on. Uh, all of that um right there's a lot it's useful but but you have to think okay what am what's what's my mission here right you know yeah. you you set your your mission and then you you set your goal yeah. for that mission and then you break it down into into a plan there you go there you go and it doesn't matter who you are it no. doesn't matter who you are unless i would say you're a if you're a, a manufacturer then you've got your then you've got your um, your booth, and then there um, there are certain dealers that you're going to want to be talking to, and then you're going to be looking to see, well, who's the up and coming retail shop here? Yeah, yeah, do a little bit of background. No, that makes sense, and I think, yeah, for the you know this concept I have, obviously the talking to some of the the lodges, and you know, like you said, Jim Kluge, who I've had on the show already, and. People that are in the know on on the uh, all the destination would be a great you know a great start. But um, yeah, I'm hoping to get up there and you know not only dig into a little bit of that, but also I mean I've interviewed uh, your number. Gosh, what what am I up to now? I can't remember exactly. But I'm I'm getting close to 100 episodes now, which is you know fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's been a, an episode a week. Um, and so I got a lot of people, you know, that I want to, that I want to connect with. So there's no way I'm going to get around to everybody. And I don't know if all of them, those will be there, but yeah, I think long-term like Cameron, again, like Cameron Mortensen said, he, he gave out, I think he said he gave out a few hundred cards the first time he went to IMTD mm-hmm. and then he gave away 70 the next time. And then it was down to 30, you know, and then by the third or fourth show, he's already, he's not even given out cards. He pretty much, you know, has networked and, and knows people. So yeah, I'm hoping to get to that point. Well, that's, and so, so that's the, 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 the synergy between AFTA and IFTD, Dave, is that that um, that networking opportunity, that face-to-face gathering of the clan in in at IFTD, is one of the 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 huge benefits of joining AFTA. Yep. But also, it's the entree point into all the benefits that that belonging to AFTA provide. And it's, it's knowing who, you know, having, having stood and talked to Ben Bulis or, or Matt Smythe or Colby Tro or whoever the incoming president of AFTA is and getting to know them and having their cards and, and maybe sharing a beer with them or, or more, uh, you know, it can't be beat. It really can't be beat. And then the other plug I would make for, 
for folks who who want to be successful in the industry is being engaged in your trade association and what what however that uh, manifests itself. But there are a number of committees. Um, I chair the Government Affairs and Alliances Committees, but there's marketing committee communications. Mm-hmm. So there's a committee for everyone. And um, if you involve yourself in those committees and you don't have to be on the board to be on the on the committee, mm-hmm. um, then then you're going to get a chance to look under the hood of the industry, not just the trade association, but the whole industry, whatever area that you're interested in and be engaged. And then, you know, to the degree that you're committed to the industry, you can then become um, a board member and really get inside the the uh, under the hood and then become an officer and 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 really drive the car. So there's a lot of opportunity to be involved. Gotcha. Well, and I wanted to get into a little bit more on your role there and all that, but maybe we can jump into um, a little bit on the, um, and it is the the fly, the weight, the rod standards. Is that, is that something that AFTA, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, well, that's a, that's a legacy. Um, it's a legacy issue for, or, or, or um, part of AFTA is yeah. um, when AFTA, was born um, which was when what year was it born oh i'm gonna say probably in the in 1996 oh Don't, wow. so so pretty fairly re- well you know fairly recently i mean there's yes yeah there was a so back in the um the the pre-after days was the american fishing tackle manufacturers association and they actually had a um a a science wing um the, the um something fishing institute yeah, sfi yeah. All um, right. but those ultimately combined into the american sport fishing association back in early 90s um mm-hmm. and then um the fly fishing world uh, the, 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 the folks involved in fly fishing there felt it was important to have their own trade association. So they created AFTA, um, and guys like Casey Walsh and Paul Schluter and, um, Bill Klein and um, Jim Barchi and I'm missing a few yeah. back in those days, you know, started up a, a trade started up their own trade association because they felt after needed um it its own representation but but back in the day there was my words not anybody else's you know it was a bit of a wild west with 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 real seats and foot and all that and line weights and so those those standards came over from aftma um if you go back and look at you know, maybe I'm really dating myself, but you know the the old fly rod des- line weight designations were letters, were alphabetical, not not numerical. Um, you know, HCF and um, Tom Rosenbauer can tell you what it means. I can't remember it. I'd have to go find my charts. But um, you know, yeah. and and 
and line weights are still you know measured in grains but it's a range and um it's it's an interesting area as lines have have evolved as there's been more innovation in line standards yeah and, and more mean, innovation line, and, and confusion for some right because there's so much yeah going on. Well, yeah and and i think it's it's um i love it it's like new technology to me i love the fact that there's always innovation going yeah. on that things cool. like fly lines have different coatings have different textures and have different uh tapers Let's take a quick break from a word from our sponsors. The Great Drake, since 2014, the Great Drake's mission has been to provide high-quality heritage fly fishing tackle while being good stewards of our sport. They use sustainable cork instead of silicone or foam inserts in their fly boxes. These cork inserts are naturally self-healing and hydrophobic and will, not, and will hold flies from the smallest midge to the largest stoneflies and hoppers. Be on the lookout for the new Fall Run fly box available in 2019. This aluminum fly box features small and medium-sized clips on one side and uh, on the other, slotted cork, which is perfect for bombers and skaters. Conservation is the key with the Great Drake, and they support uh, great organizations, including Utah Stream Access Coalition and Trout Unlimited's Wild Steelheaders United. Head over to thegraydrake.com to check out their classic selection of fly boxes and wallets today. We are also sponsored by Delifresh Design, a company that makes sustainable fly fishing gear in the heart of Denver, Colorado. Delifresh blends old waders and Cordura canvas to make rugged river-tested gear, such as fly wallets, koozies, and their classic sling packs. You can listen to the full podcast interview with Ross, the founder of DLD, uh, at episode 79 of, of this podcast. But take a quick listen to a short clip from that uh, interview that gives an example of how Ross reduces his waste with his personal actions as a business and highlights his dedication to conservation. But as a company, I'm trying to reduce my impact uh, by riding a bike or taking uh, the bus or shared uh, shared cars, stuff like that on uh, for commuting. And then, you know, yeah, when I go fishing, I, I'll get in a car, but I, I try to go with other people. And, and so I think there's things that as consumers that we can do on a daily basis, not just not just to uh, to you know throw money at a problem. I think that's the last thing we should be doing is sort of deciding where we can uh, make an impact on a personal level. And I think my own mentality of doing those things on a daily basis, like driving or, or riding a bike, uh, and then trying to see what uh, what materials I can use that reduce waste, or what I'm trying to do as a person and as a company. Let's help Ross. NDLD do great things today and this year for fly fishing and conservation. All of DFD's gear will help you spend more time casting and less time juggling your stuff. To see these great products, go to uh, Instagram and follow them where you can see their latest designs, or you can head over to delifreshdesign.com and use the coupon code WFS20 to get 20% off your next order. Okay, back to the show. Well, Marty Shepard, um, he broke down, we were talking about spay lines, you know, because that's a real mm-hmm. confusing thing. But but on the episode I had him on, I can't remember, I don't have it in front of me here, but um, he was um, he was basically saying, you know, actually I do have it as Seymour Shepard, seven, episode 76. He was just saying, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you go out there for winter steelhead, you, you grab a Skagit line and, you know, 
it, it's not that it doesn't have to be that difficult, right? You know, right. you can make it difficult, but it's really simple. You know, you can just go get a line and just go get started. So I think for some people that want to nerd out and, and go into it, they can, but yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. But basically you have this line standard, the AFTA, which basically tries to put a standard for weights of rods and, and how that relates to lines. That's right. I mean, it's, it's, Again, you don't want complete Wild West out there where, you know, a, a person buys a, a reel that doesn't fit on the rod and, you know, the line that, that they think is a three-way turns out to be a, you know, right. something completely different or, yeah. or or all that. And, and you know, I'm going to sort of loop back to the Tenkara thing again is that, you know, that creates a whole different conversation about line weights mm. and um but it's you know it's it's the simplicity and so you know as a guide as an instructor and someone who works for a retail store um that you know being able to simplify it but also being able to provide the customer the full range of tools is important and um but making sure that when we say, well, this SA five weight and this Rio five weight line and, and this whatever five weight Orvis fly five weight line are all going to work on your Scott Sage, Winston, Orvis yeah. rod, whatever. That's important. You don't, it, 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 you don't want the tools to be mismatched, right? You don't. You don't want to put the wrong chain on a on on the chainsaw. No, no, no. That's yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, and there's a little bit of variation in there. Obviously, you can mm -hmm. you know have a little heavier line or lighter line depending on the the rod. So, but yeah, sure. You know that totally makes sense. The Tenkara thing, and I think that's yeah, another thing today. I think we're not going to have a ton of time to dig into it, but we have talked about that and. You know, it's been interesting because, you know, you got the people in the both schools, of people out there that are like, you know, Tenkara, you know, what is that? It's not even fly fishing. It's, you know, this, and then you got the people like in your, in your side. And I've talked to a number of people that are pretty, uh, powerful, you know, kind of heavy hitters in fly fishing. And, and they, they, um, talk about the benefits to Tenkara. So what would you say to somebody who basically is out there saying, you know, Tenkara, that's, there's no real, that's not even fly fishing. What, what would you tell that person? Well, I, you know, I think it depends on how you want to define fly fishing, but, you know, a fly, a line and a rod are fly fishing. You know, the reel doesn't make fly fishing. Yeah. Um, now, now are, are you, are you, are you, uh, you know, in the industry, are you kind of pissing off the, the, the new reel manufacturers out there? Oh, <laughs> well, well, no, you know, when I, you know, I was on the board of AFTA for 11 years, yeah. you, you know, 10 years ago, nine years ago. Yeah. Before Tenkara. Um, when did Tenkara, has it been out there forever? It, it's, well, D Daniel Galhardo from yeah. Tenkara USA, they yep. celebrated their 10th year this year. There you and go. That's, those were the first rods I used. And that was through um, reading an article in Fly Rod and Reel that, that um, Yvonne Chenard wrote. And I called his good friend um, um, Craig Matthews and said, so tell me about Tenkara. And he said, Sadler. For your brook trout fishing, it would be the jam. Huh. And um, he was right. And um, it's – but, you know, here I am on the board talking about a tool that is, you know, 
nothing like a conventional fly rod, nothing like a, it does not, does not use a reel, does not use lines that have standards, you know, white line weights. Mm -hmm. Um, we started fooling around with diameters to try to distinguish them, but it's really more material. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I caught a lot of grief. You did. I caught a lot. You did. People people were calling you out and (laughs) all good, all in good fun. Yeah. Yeah, All no, in good, know. but you know, I got I got a, a number of Lefty No Tenkara stickers, oh. and you know, what's the worst <laughs> yeah. thing about Tenkara is telling your father you're gay. Oh yeah, yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Well, there, and I had I had Jug, uh, you know, Gear Rock. We were talking about it, and I, he had an article. Well, he, he took a whole year to didn't do Tenkara, <laughs> and and when we were chatting about it, he basically I, I thought he was kind of into Tenkara a little bit, and then at you know, as we started talking, he's like, well, let me set the, the record straight. I actually, I tried it out because I wanted to write about it for a year, but then that was the only time he ever went 10 car fishing. So, so it catches on to some people and some people he doesn't. Do you think it's just a, a small or why does it catch on to some people and some people it doesn't? It's a tool in the toolbox, right? Why you don't brook trout fish with a spay rod. You don't, you don't steelhead with a three weight a six and a half foot three way, yeah. right? It's a, the tool it's in the tool. toolbox. And, and if you're open-minded and say, gee, I'm willing to try something better or something easier or something, um, more effective, you know, I have been doing demonstrations for, for almost 10 years now. And, you know, it's, it's, you're high sticking a dry fly. And if you visualize that as a, as a fly angler, um, you do it, you try to do it a lot anyway, but yeah. if you have a, 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 a tool that's designed to high stick a dry fly, um, you can think really quickly about the applications where it will come in really, really handy and really, really effectively. Yeah. Um, then, 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 and then the, the big thing, and this is the thing that has kept me engaged in it, is it's simple. It simplifies fly fishing to its really basic core rod line fly fool on the other end and (laughs) um and and that's you know that's that's the thing that again going back to to chenard it's that's where the where patagonia you know put their put their energies behind that whole simple fly fishing yeah concept and that's to me is has what's what what sells it so it's getting people who don't fly fish yeah who want to learn how to fly fish but really what do you want to teach them you want to teach them to fly fish or do you want to teach them to cast if you want to teach them to fly fishing then eliminate the the hurdles that make fly fishing challenging yeah the 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 the, the way you cast the 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 all the complications of line weights and rods and at lengths and stiffnesses it's simple. It's stick in a string, put the fly in the water, keep the line off yeah. the water. Yeah. Then, yeah. then they're focusing on fishing. Then you're talking about, well, okay, you want to fish in this seam. You want to hit this pocket. You want to make sure you're getting the fly in this area. That's fly fishing to me. Yeah. It's not about, and, and not to take away anything from the people who are casting and, um, but it is, it is, if you're starting people out, make it simple, get them into the sport, and then take them on the journey through, whether it's, you know, um, yeah, well, largemouth fishing with where you're making 
you know, longer casts or salt water or spay, get them in. But boy, if we make it difficult for people to get into the sport, we're hurting ourselves. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I really haven't, I've never had anyone seriously say, you know, you should be, you know, hung in the town square for fishing with a 10 car. Rod. No, no, it's not that crazy, but, uh, no. yeah, no, I think it is a good, uh, definitely. And, and Tenkara too, um, I had Tenkara Tanuki on, on the, on a past mm-hmm. episode and he, that's what he said. I mean, he, he compared it to, you just catch more fish, you know I mean? The, if you're in the right situation that it's just easier because again, you take out all those things of casting and the, the, the you know, the big struggles for people. So, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think it is a good resource. I think Nakara for anybody that wants to get into it. Um, I did want to touch on a little bit on your, we talked a little bit about it, but, uh, the local fly shop, you know, that you guide through. Mm-hmm. And can you talk just briefly about, you know, what your local water is there and, and how you catch and which species and how you catch, you know, fish there? Sure. We're, we are extremely fortunate here in Virginia and especially in the Shenandoah Valley. Um, we have, um, brook trout streams on either side of us. There's in Virginia is second only to Maine in the number of brook trout fishing uh, opportunities that you have. Uh, although New Hampshire is probably looking side eye at me and saying, well, we're pretty close. Um, are these but, big, big brookies, average brookies? Uh, well, so, you know, Define big. No, they're not. Yeah, they're like, not uh, Labrador brookies. Yeah, exactly. They're, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a good fish around here is going to be nine to 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 eleven inches. Yeah. Bigger, you know, big fish twelve to 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 fourteen. Fourteen. You're pushing the envelope on on native brook trout. But that's go. that's the thing. They're the native fish here. Um, locals call them specks. Um, and uh, so we're bookend with that. And yeah. um, Mossy Creek fly fishing is in Harrisonburg, right in the center of the Shenandoah Valley. So we access the um, all both sides of the the mountains, um, the George Washington National Forest to our west, and the Shenandoah National Park to our east. So public land. We're very fortunate to be able to provide. Um, the state is the Commonwealth has can provide fishing in. Um, a lot of public land what is the local the biggest uh named river there so so in the in the mountain streams it would be the rapidan is probably the most storied uh brook trout water down uh on the valley floor where our spring creeks are which are browns and and rainbows and brook trout um mossy creek would be the the uh the, the more storied um Spring yeah. Creek here in the Shenandoah Valley and, and probably in Virginia, everybody. And there's, you know, there's a love hate relationship with Mossy Creek because it's challenging and um, it is. Um, what, what makes it challenge? Is it just the fact that there's a lot of people so, fishing and no, actually <laughs> that's the last challenge is that, that, oh, really? that, that it's not, it's not pressured uh, horribly. Um, it is, it is, it's a true spring Creek, right? It, it comes out of a spring head, um, and flows and then is supplemented by other small springs and it's got weeds. It's got, Oh, gotcha. Um, moss, it's got, it's got mud banks. And so finding the place to put a fly, and this is where Tenkara became, um, you know, a light bulb going off Mm. is, 
Um, if you think about trying to cast across a mud flat into a into a a, a, a channel of water, right, that's not good. It's, it's really hard because you drop the line on, on, yeah. onto that mud, and, and it's hard to make mends. And so you're doing all sorts of, you know, three hundred one type stack mends and oh, yeah. air mends. Right. Whereas a tenkara rod, you keep the line off off of all of that stuff, so you get these. It, you get these incredible drifts and then you're, you're dealing with, you know, browns and rainbows. I mean, who, who couldn't be happier? And then we get into the summer when it's, you know, you know, I'm guiding this weekend. It's going to be in the nineties. So, you know, we'll be finished. We'll be off the water by 11 o'clock. We get to fish on our um, fresh. I mean, our uh, warm water stream uh, rivers, the Shenandoah, um, and the James. So we have the South Fork of the Shenandoah. We run um, smallmouth bass trips uh, out of, you know, uh, rubber rafts. And, um, you know, you're going to have phenomenal fishing. And if you get hot, you just go over the side and cool off and, the, and jump in and then jump <laughs> back and, up and keep fishing. And, yeah. you know, you've got, it, it, it's not, it's not un, uncommon to have, you know, 50, 60 fish days. And, you know, if, if you start targeting the big fish up on the banks, the bug eaters right on the banks, you're going to find some pretty good size, you know, 20 plus inch, uh, smallies. And yeah. then we have, um, you know, not during the summer, but, but they're still around is, but we target our, um, musky fishing oh, yeah. in the fall. Um, you know, 50 inch musky. Right. Uh, uh, it's, you know, the, the cast of a, uh, the fish of a yep. thousand cast others and it's a workout, but it's worth it when you, when you hook one. What, what's your, if you had to pick one species that, to fish for and, and only one, what, what do you go for? Brook trout. I, I'm, really? I've been, I've been involved with, with brook trout conservation for almost yep. 20 years they are they are the most spectacular fish on the planet as far as i'm concerned just because you, of their coloration and beauty their and coloration just you can't you yeah. can't imagine a good friend of mine from florida came up and said i've never seen a fish with 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 colors that i like this um and there's know, some amazing you-, you know when you think about you know grayling for example you know the colorations on some of those mm-hmm. you know photos and fish you see i mean there there's obviously some beautiful fish but yeah that's that's cool to to hear that brook trout you know is kind of the one species if you had you know i usually ask the question kind of the and this is perfect since you're a guide but the the 222 which is the top two flies tips and resources for you know for brook trout what what would you say what were what are two if somebody was going to go for brookies up in that area what would be the top two flies you would you had to pick? parachute adams and um pheasant tail nymph there you go yeah, I mean, you can fish anywhere with those two, and you can fish them wet. You can fish them dry. Yeah. Um, you know the the parachute because it's a an emerger style, uh, just works really well. And you know the great thing about brook trout is they eat stuff, right? Yeah. They like to eat stuff. So okay, yeah, you throw them out there. I mean, I, I remember back as a kid. You know, my my father and and grandfather's talking about you could throw cigarette butts out there and a brook trout would would take a swipe at it okay no and <laughs> and 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 you see you see folks using strike indicators right and you in the in the 
broke trout come up and whack a strike indicator. It drives you crazy. That's why I won't use the silly things when I'm brook trout fishing is because you miss an opportunity to hook up a fish because a brook trout will eat pretty much anything. No kidding. Or take a whack at it, right? Yeah. What What's your, um, you know, for brook trout, do you have a couple of tips maybe that uh, just fly fishing tips that might help somebody? Uh, well, the, it, it, at least around here in the Shenandoah Valley, if you're fishing um, – our mountain streams, my tip is to put a fly in any water where you can put one foot in front of the other and the water is going over the tops of your boots. Oh, right? wow. in, so there's, <clears throat> especially as we get into the late spring, early summer, those fish have spread out. They will, they will be, um, one or two fish will be holding in every little pocket. And huh. I, constantly dumbfound my clients by telling them make a cast we'll be walking up a, a an area and i'll say just make a cast over there and they'll they'll drop a fly in there and a fish will hit it and they'll just look at me gobsmacked and say I, I, there's no way i would have thought a fish is there and i said that's yeah, the thing people just walk tiny. by miles of fish because they're looking to fish in a big open yeah. pool and they're missing these little places and it's it's if you get into it it's way cool because yeah. you're just walking along and just dinking flies in huh. and picking off fish and of course you know they're going to they're going to be bigger fish in some some of the bigger holes but but yeah. in a in a place this half the size of a bathtub one of my clients this spring picked off a 11 inch brook trout at the head of this little and 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 Dave, you it was it was it was not even six feet of water right. at length, and and he picked this nice fish off at the right at the beginning, and just again he was gobsmacked. That's Couldn't so believe cool. there was a fish there, That's so not, cool. especially a big fish. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, I I would say always if you can fish two flies until you're catching eighty percent of your fish on your dry fly okay um you know it's it is not it's not hard to to take nine inches of 5x and put it behind a parachute adams and tie a pheasant tail on it you yeah. go one size smaller um in tippet and in fly size and you is know that, is you'll that your shocked. typical so that the dry dropper setup mm -hmm. is, that, is that pretty much what it is right there for you is there any just tie on the dry and then tie off a, a, a dropper on the tail from the, the hook shank. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 That's perfect. That's, that's 90% of the time when yeah. I step into to dry river or the rapid in, that's the setup I'm going to put my clients on. Gotcha. That's cool. And what about, so I am, you know, Mossy Creek probably has some resources, but do you have a, a couple of good resources? Anything comes to mind for somebody that's heading out to that area for, for brookies and it could be a book magazine video you know shot anything um well yeah I, I mean we have we have um information on the the mossy creek uh website uh the state uh has the the, the virginia department of game and inland fisheries has the information about um where you can fish, where their stock okay. water is, and where their they have a very aggressive uh, trout management program. They're just revising it. We've 
Brian and Colby and I have all been involved in, in, in looking, reviewing their trout management. The state, the state gives, really cares about its, um, its trout management program. The, 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 the regional office is, is five minutes from my house. Um, and, uh, Paul Bugis and Steve Reeser and Jason Halicher are, are all good friends and they, they really are committed to it. And then our secretary of natural resources, um, in, in the Commonwealth is, um, a, a, a fish head and really okay. cares about, and gotcha. he's, he's super about it. Um, so I, you know, those, that's a, that's a great resource. And, um, you know, it's, it is, I, I have a series of articles about Tenkara fishing f- for brook trout in uh, in uh, on my website. Um, but you know, we encourage people to get out and take advantage of the public lands. That's you know, you've got the George Washington National Forest, the Shenandoah National Park. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to the Forest Service, if you go to the Park Service websites, you can get information. No but way want one stop shopping and I'm not trying to make it this into an ad, but, um, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, you know, Mossy Creek fly fishing's website has, we'll, we'll get you dialed in really quickly, really okay. quick. Perfect. Quick. Perfect. Yeah. That makes it, uh, that makes it easy. What, um, you know, we mentioned this a couple times, but the um, the Middle River Group, your your website. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe somebody that hasn't um, been to the site, what, what you cover there and, and what the, the focus is. And, and I, I know, I know <laughs> so, there's, so, there's a lot. <laughs> well, you know, you know, websites are, you know, they're just, a, they're online brochures. So the middle river group is just the holding company for, for my consulting business. Um, I, I currently am the deputy director of the Marine fish conservation network. So I'm not doing uh, any consulting. So the website really is, is where I, how's my blog um dispatches from the middle river and uh i focus on conservation fishing politics and there's a you know some some antics on there periodically Mm -hmm. but uh you know it's it is um i don't want to say moribund but it's 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 a bit dated at this point Mm -hmm. um my, most of my focus these days is dealing with marine resource issues, public public policy at the federal level on on our oceans, and uh, so yeah. you know that's 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 taking um, a lot of my time, and um, you know when I, when I do get a chance to write, I try to to focus mo- mostly on the on the fly fishing stuff uh, and some of the conservation stuff. Gotcha. What's the, um, you know, on the oceans, it seems like, you know, obviously it's such a big, you know, there's lots of problems, lots of issues, you know, for somebody that doesn't know anything about it, what would you recommend how they might be able to, you know, maybe connect with some of the issues or find, just learn more about what, what's going on, what they can do to, to help. I don't even know what the issues are out in your, in your, your neck of the woods, but anything. Well, so it's, it's. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll put a plug in for the network. It's the Marine Fish Conservation Network. We're a coalition of, of if you think about everybody who's on the waterfront, right? Whether it's seafood processors, s- small boat commercial fishermen, tackle shops, 
recreational anglers, scientists, environmental organizations. We we brought those groups together um, to talk about federal marine resource policy. Um, and so if you if you want to sort of up, keep up to date on marine issues at the federal level, that's a great resource. Um, I'll put a plug in for the American Saltwater Guides Association. It's um, my friend John McMurray started it recently to focus on um, issues um, in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, they're dealing with menhaden and stripers right now. All right. Um, and it's a, it's a, it, for you guys on the West Coast, stripers have become our steelhead problem. Yeah. And for those folks in the, who are listening who are down in the Gulf of Mexico, when we say stripers, you guys think um, red snapper. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, that's a challenging thing. And then the thing that probably got me mostly involved in all of the marine resource issues was the plastics issues. The, oh, the right. amount of plastic waste in our oceans is, right. is abominable and trying to solve it is going to be a worldwide problem and yep. a worldwide challenge. And, uh, that's a personal thing. And it's, you know, this is going to be really sappy, but seeing whales caught in nets and straws in, in sea straws, turtles, right. um, straws and, are a big, a big like uh, a big thing right just plastic straws yeah well i mean it's you know i get laughed at because you know i i'm death on plastic straws i have a metal straw in my backpack and i get a, sort of like my new tenkara grief oh, right yeah. well there's a big um, movement i think i mean definitely you're seeing it out here too there's a big movement for banning straws and all that as well sure um you know it's 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 it is it's it's you know it's an it's a yeah, it's an icon iconic right yeah Hey, so make, but make it, you know, it's plastic bottles. I mean, you look at what Costa and, and AFTA has been involved in reducing plastic waste. Colby Tro, um, who's the current president and, and one of the co-owners of Mossy Creek Fly Fishing, um, pushed our, uh, pushed the industry towards using um, cardboard, recycled cardboard fly boxes. So if you think about going into a fly shop and all those old plastic um, fly boxes, the little tiny ones yeah. where you picked up a, a dozen flies and oh, threw right. them in a plastic thing, yep. tried to move them out. And 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 AFTA was the leader through Colby's good works to get that um, get that changed. That's and cool. um, you know, it's it, every little thing makes a difference, right? If you if you say, well, you know. I, Vote um, uh, isn't going to make a difference. That's nonsense. If you, you know, stop using plastic water bottles, pla- stop using plastic straws, stop using plastic bags. Take it. Take a little bit. Make a little bit more effort and give a damn about what the future looks like. Yeah, no, I agree. There's a. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, the the like we said at the start, the the Rachel Carson Silent Spring. I'm not. You know, obviously that's a good book, and I can't remember how the whole thing started with her, but. I mean, I'm sure it probably started on a small grassroots, a few people and built into this thing that eventually, you know, now we have the EPA and water quality standards, right? I mean, that, that started with a small group similar to Mm -hmm. probably any of these. Yeah. I mean, it's people caring and it's people, you know, think about, you know, 60 years ago, the littering problem, the amount of litter on our roads. And, and it was really people finally said, no, I'm not going to throw stuff out of my car. And you can see, you know, the, the YouTube videos now of, of people throwing stuff out of their car and 
people throwing it back in there and saying, you know, come on, we can do yeah. better than this. And simple things, again, getting back to where AFTA was and leading the industry and, and, and it, it's, you know, you can buy three different sizes of recycled plastic, uh, cardboard fly boxes through AFTA. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a very inexpensive way for a fly shop. It's actually cheaper than the plastic to, um, you know, to give the consumer a box and, and you can recycle it. You can bring it back to the shops and, um, and they'll recycle it for it. That's cool. Well, uh, yeah, we're, uh, Tom, we're getting about, we're getting about there as far as wrapping this thing up, okay. but I just, just had a couple more I wanted to run by you here. And, sure. um, one of them is, um, you know, maybe you can just, again, finish it up with IFTA. Can you take me to the floor of some, for somebody who hasn't been there, what, what they, when they walk in the door, what do they see and what's, what's this thing going to look like? Okay. Visualize this. Your seven year old child. You're, you're finally aware of what Christmas is like and you come down the stairs or you walk through the door into the living room where the Christmas tree is and all the presents are. That's what you look like the first time you walk onto the floor at IFTD. It's, it's magic. It's magic. If you're in the fly fishing world, even if you're a jaded industry veteran, you look at that aisles of of boosts of of the things that make fly fishing enjoyable and i use that word specifically enjoyable they are laid out in front of you in rows and it is it takes i think seasoned veterans of going to shows to not be overwhelmed by that first view and you know it's it it it's mind-boggling and it's and it's yeah. exciting and it's and it's new you, right you, new, new products and there's new product and there's old friends and there's you know activity and excitement and i i can't think of the time when i have seen a sad face on uh, uh on the show floor i've that's cool. I've seen tired faces. That's I've cool. seen people who have just like been beat up, but it's, yep. it's exciting. And it's just, you think of aisles of, of new product and old friends and new friends. And, you know, the show floor transforms at the end of the day into sort of a roving cocktail party. <laughs> After has events there where, um, and then you know each vendor has has outside events, but it oh, is okay. it's it's a pretty darn exciting ten hours a day. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. No, this is cool. It, it remind well, you said the Christmas. I love how you started that painting that picture because that's kind of you know I think of the yeah obviously for kids and and we should all we're all kind of kids, right? That's that's that we shouldn't lose that that piece. I'm. I'm as excited about going to Denver this year as I was the first time I went and as as excited as I was last year down in Orlando. It is, um, you know, it, 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 Christmas doesn't get old, right? No, no. I don't care how jaded you are, right? So this doesn't get old. It, it's, it's that much fun. It's that much fun. That's, that's cool. So, okay. Well, uh, and just, we haven't touched, you know, mentors, obviously your, your family, you had your grandfather and stuff like that, but any other mentors, you know, that you would kind of point out that it helped you in your fly fishing, you know, 
just the whole thing um, from where you well, are? Um, I, yeah, I've got a, there's probably when it comes to casting, the mentor that, that helped me the most was, um, the late Mel Krieger. Okay. Um, he made sense to me. Um, if you've never seen, uh, his Joe Schmuckapop videos, I commend them to you. Uh, they, what, what, they are, what are they again? Joe Schmuckapop okay. is, 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 is a character in, in, uh, in Mel Krieger's fly fishing videos. <laughs> nice. um, obviously. Are those uh, out there? Are, the, are those on YouTube? I, you know, I don't know if they are, but I, but I, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. I, they, 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 he had a whole series of videos. Um, so if they're not out there for free, I'm, I suspect they're there. You could probably find them for sale and mm-hmm. they would be worth it. I will promise you they would be worth it. Cool. Um, Mel, Mel was, was terrific. Um, I've had the pleasure of of uh, knowing Lefty Cray and Joan Wolf. Uh-huh. Um, I, I I actually sat and interviewed uh, Lefty for uh, a Tenkara about Tenkara. It's on my website. Um, Craig Matthews and Avon Chenard have been um, very influential. Craig actually performed the the marriage ceremony when I got married. Oh wow! Um, Thirteen years ago this month hmm. on $3 bridge and um, on the Madison river. And it was, it was Craig and Craig has always been a great uh, resource, both from the fly fishing world and um, the conservation world. The late Jim range was best man in my wedding and hmm. probably one of the greatest unsung heroes in the conservation of this, in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a tribute to him again on my website. If folks don't know who he is, no cool. uh, I'll put a link to that. Um, and then, um, you know, honestly, the 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 Tro brothers, Brian and Colby, have um, mentored me um, in 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 the business world as much as I've probably mentored them. And I speak to one or the other pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. And um, it is it's their enthusiasm, their involvement in the industry um that have have made my life richer um and and my commitment to to fly fishing that much stronger that's yeah uh, you just mentioned and i'm missing a bunch of people I know. but those are the ones that no, no you just, right there. that's probably the greatest line of uh you know mentor i've asked that question a number of times and yeah that's pretty powerful the people you talked about there so um and what about you know you, you again what would you say this is kind of getting back to the this this thing has come up and maybe this will this will be the last time I'll say it on this show but you know as we've talked about some of the business thing that the um that there's there's no money to be made in fly fishing you know it comes up occasionally by people talking about how difficult it is because I guess it's a small niche what would you say to somebody you know that 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 says that well, I was flippant when when I was quoting Casey, and but it is, um, you know, it, this isn't this isn't um, you know becoming a venture capitalist. I right. mean, this, there are there are better ways to make a lot of money, but it's I don't if if you want to measure it in monetary terms, I think it's um, you know, I, as I say, there's probably better things to do yeah. to, to make a lot of money. But if you like fly fish and and have a, 
you know, an interest in the business, an interest in the industry, there's a lot of people that can support you. And they are all, you know, there's a thousand of them that belong to the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. This is a question that, you know, I've been asking, I've been having a lot of fun uh, on music. Do you, do you have a, um, you know, like a favorite band or type of music, you know, you listen to? Sure. Um, so it runs from Lyle Lovett and Robert O'Keen to Jimmy Buffett uh-huh. to um, the Rolling Stones to oh, the Great Dead. Perfect. So that's perfect. those are the things that will usually come up on my playlist. Although, and not just because we're talking today, but I have become very enamored with a long variety of podcasts. So. Um, by when I'm commuting up to Washington or running between uh, gigs on uh, uh, guiding, uh, the podcasts are coming up. Your podcast, if we uh-huh. were talking earlier, you know, with with Rachel Finn was yep. one of the more entertaining it was. Uh, things. And and so it's yeah. Um, I'm especially now I'm listening to a lot of political um podcast oh yeah well, that, what would be uh, one one political podcast you know or in a, are you um, talking about politics and related to the outdoor industry or just in general um no politics writ large you know mostly electoral politics the one i'm listening to i listen to quite a bit is hacks oh yeah h-a-c-k-s hacks on tap hacks on tap yeah that's uh that's axelrod and uh and mike mike murphy and murphy yep murphy and Axe. i love those guys yeah which which is cool about that in x um I was, I've been listening to the Axe Files for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I think that went to a paid thing now, which I haven't been listening lately. But yeah, I love, I love Axe. Um, you know, Axe, and then Murphy's kind of the same thing, right? They're, they're one is kind of Republican, one's kind of Democrat. Mm-hmm. They kind of cover both ends. Yep. No, they're, uh, I, I, I have spent, you know, almost 40 years advising political campaigns and that those two guys, when they're talking politics, yeah. resonate really, really closely with. I love the balance that they bring. I, exactly. I love the observation, and they do it. They do a tremendous job of analysis that's not sort of, um, you know, opinion as much as it's you know experiential. Um, if 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 I were running a campaign or if I were running for an office, I'd be listening to those guys exactly. and going to school on those guys. So what do you- what do you think with those guys? Because, um, you know, we're in this crazy world, right? It seems like with how uh, divisive politics mm-hmm. are. And you look at those two guys and you actually don't see that. You see these two guys that are kind of like, why don't we have more of those guys? Um, that's that's a that's a million dollar question, Dave. Why is our politics devolved into this? And that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> um, I'm right. You know, I've I watched it. Um you know, I, I started working in Washington in 1980. So, oh, wow. um, you know, I've seen a lot of change. Um, I, you know, I have my theories, but um, I, I think we're we're going into, you know, the the precursor to the phoenix, where it's going to burn down yeah. and something will rise from the ashes. Right. Um, I'm heartbroken to see what's happening. I, you know, I'm, I've been a Republican since I first started in politics in 1964, going door to door for Barry Goldwater. <laughs> I, I've worked for a Republican Senator. Um, my, my father and grandfather were involved in the Republican party, but this is not my Republican party. Right. Uh, 
I'm a Theodore Roosevelt Republican. Um, so if somebody asks me what party, I identify as Bull Moose. And, um, yeah, you know, so I... I don't know where we're going to work. And, I, and I'm on the outside of it. You know, in fact, I've um, since I had my first kid um, seven years ago, you know, I, I just haven't had time to, to get in, to get into the politics. So I've kind of stayed out of it. But, you know, I think the biggest thing is that um, it seems to me the big change between now and where politics, the great thing about politics is is being able to sit there and have a conversation, you know, and, and it's crazy to think that we've lost that, even if you're totally your, your ideas are, are different. You know, it seems like now we can't even sit down and have a conversation, right? So that I think that's where we got to get back to that that thing where you could, whether you're a Republican or Democrat or whatever, that you could at least talk. So yeah, we'll leave that for the next uh, the next episode. Or yeah, we'll- <laughs> but you, you you hit the nail on the head, and there was a there was a um, a, a movement. Um, and there's an article on my website about this in the politics tab um, about sitting down and and have a beer with me. Yeah. Have a cup of coffee. Let's talk. We're not doing that. We're yelling. We're screaming. We're sharing social. um, Well, it memes, mean, ugly memes. And and I'm I'm guilty of it on occasion. I try to keep to the ones that I find amusing. But, you know, we're, we're not sitting down and having conversations. And I think one of the great things of with 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 guys like you, Dave, who are reaching out to people, you're having conversations, and I hope we we use the new town square, yep, to have those conversations, and that we use things like podcasts and um, whatever evolves in the future to be those coffee shop conversations. You know it. You remember. I remember sitting around a coffee shop with the gray beards and listening to them talk about the good old days. But you know what? We were doing it as a community and, and yeah, you know, it, it is, I, I hope we can get back to that and that we recognize that there's so much more that we have in common than, than we have in the indifference that um, we rise from the ashes of this horribly destructive period that we're in and, and become a better and better better people not only in this country but around the world yeah no it's well well put so uh, yeah i'll put a link to the show notes to the old uh that or the hacks on tap podcast and yeah. some of the other stuff so uh well i'm gonna let you get out of here in the uh, the next six to 12 months anything new uh that we can expect from you or the the fly shop or after or anything you want to note here um no i mean i think after has made its big change in, in moving the show from orlando and being co-located with uh, ICAST to stand, a standalone show in Denver. Yeah, uh, I see huge. that happening for a number for a number of years. I won't say it's going to be the permanent location, mm-hmm. but I but I would say it's going to be there for the next few years. Cool. Um, and you know the industry's healthy, outdoor recreation's healthy, and the the people, the American people, recognize the value of our public lands. And we have good organizations like Trout Unlimited and the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers who are pushing to protect those public lands. And for us at AFTA, um, you know, access to healthy habitat creates recreational opportunity that drives economic activity. And that's how um, I think the industry is going to continue to be successful. Yeah, no, I love it. And that's a great way to put it. So I'll. I'll leave it at that. If people want to find you, they can go to, let's see, the, the, the middlerivergroup.com is probably the best place if mm-hmm. you have questions or want to see what you have going on. Sure, absolutely. 
All right, Tom. Well, that's all I have for you. This has been uh, has been a lot of fun. I think we've definitely dove around and finished up with a little politics, which is always fun. So, yeah, I appreciate you sharing, uh, you know, shedding some light on on everything we talked about today. And I hope it gives you know folks out there a, a start and you know digging in a little deeper. So, yeah, we'll hope to see you in Denver. Great. Look look forward to it, Dave. And thank you for the opportunity. Okay, we'll see you then. You bet. Bye bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes and all the links we cover, just go to wetflyswing.com slash Sadler. Interested in heading out on a fishing trip with me and a few of the great guests from the podcast? We'll be heading out to a uh, trip this next uh, summer and would love to uh, connect you with uh, myself and some of the great guests we've had on the show. Go to wetflyswing.com slash hosted. Again, that's H-O-S-T-E-D to find out more and to get uh, your name on the list for this big trip. Thanks again for stopping by and check out the show today. I'm looking forward to catching up this soon and hope to maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.